Welcome to episode two of the complete Shushtaf Kishlovsky. What do you yeah, think, dude. Yeah, I'm on board. That's the stuff. I'm fully on board. Nice. I, I look. I looked around. I feel confident that the Polish people online are not punking me. <laughs> but I totally would 100% be on their side if they were. And yep. there was just like a whole conspiracy. What if like there's a whole country out there? where they're just telling everybody how to pronounce their words in like the completely wrong way and they just like have all agreed as a goof to just do that that would be pretty amazing that would be in a lot I of feel commitment like it probably wouldn't be Poland although yeah. they definitely do have a bit of a, a skewed sense of humor which may may come up frequently here but we'll see we have we have a third person here for the first time in what it's been six episodes of just me and Travis talking and talking forever and ever, uh, and that person is John Lobinger. Hello, John Lobinger. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so happy to be the third wheel. Yes, we're happy to have you. You're you're always a very awkward, breeze uh, <laughs> a crowd. What's this guy doing here? I thought it was just me and you on this date, Travis. Why is he putting his hand on my hand? I put my hand around your shoulder only to touch his shoulder. This is just getting weird. Uh, You are, uh, of course, the host of Film Baby Film. I've been on there to have a very, very long conversation with you about Lucchino Visconti. Uh, And so I'm happy to have you back on uh, this show to talk about... uh, Kieślowski. Yeah, and I've also Travis was one of my first uh right. co-hosts and we did a couple of episodes on some Ingmar Bergman films uh pretty famously we did 3 hours on a 90 minute film. Um so <laughs> you know this that is movie- a 90 minute film that almost nobody has seen. <laughs> and that movie has ro- risen in my estimation because of our conversation. Someone you know I think recently in one of the groups someone said what are your three favorite uh, Bergman films? And that one made my list because of our awesome conversation about it. It was so good. Well, isn't it, isn't it a little bit of Stockholm syndrome when you t- when you talk about a movie and you research it and you watch it over and over? Like the, it, it has to kind of rise in your estimation. You have to have some passion for it, and so I think it does. I think it, you sort of brainwash yourself into liking the movie even more. Well, the especially more you- a Swedish movie. Yeah, <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. Look at all you guys with your jokes and your puns. <clears throat> I had to come back with a good one after your Jewish last time. So. <laughs> come on, that was great. It wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> I got dad jokes all day. Oh, that was great. All right, so the, the first thing we're going to do here, and I totally dropped the ball on it last time, uh, is... Uh, talk about Kishlovsky and our experience with Kishlovsky because nobody even knows, maybe we've never even heard of this guy before this minute. Um, So we're going to get to you in a second, John, and you're going to get to give your rigmarole. But first, Travis, what do you, uh, how did you come to to this guy? And, uh, you know, how, how are your sort of feeling, how were your feelings before jumping into this uh, exercise? 
Um, I think the very first film that uh, I was introduced uh, to uh, Kieślowski's work was uh, Blue. Um, it was assigned to me uh, to as a term paper in a uh, art and visual issues class I was taking in college. And I had never, I never heard of him. I think I, you know, if you ask me, I think I've heard the name Double Life of Veronique. Um, but for the most part, he was completely off my radar. And because of my unfamiliarity with his work, um, the relative age I was at, and the fact that it was forced upon me to watch, I had a really hard time with that movie. Um, I totally BS the paper. I got a really shitty grade on it, and I totally deserved it because I did not like devote any of my time to watching that movie the way it should have been watched. Um, then flash forward a couple years later, I'm dating my now wife, and uh, she pulls out her copy of Red and tells me all about the trilogy, and I have my copy of Blue that I had purchased for that class because there was only one loaner copy for 30 students, so there was never a chance for me to see it any other way, and we watched that trilogy together, and I understood like how it's like one of those things you when you're forced to do something a lot of times you may not enjoy it and so you're kind of have to come around to it on your own terms um i was like that with a lot of music a lot of tv shows when people are just talking about it too much or making me watch it i i turn i tune out uh, quite often um and then uh kind of faded in the background for a while and uh, Criterion Collection, I, I collect their movies, and then uh, Double Life of Veronique comes up, and it has a beautiful edition, and I watch it, and I am just completely entranced by this director. And I was thinking of watching more films, but we had on our list he was coming up as a potential next episode thing after our Kubrick one. And so I kind of put a hold on it because I thought I would really like to enjoy these movies uh, in chronology and talk about them in depth with you and lovely guests like John here. Um, and so kind of I'm new to him. Uh, I've only seen one or two of his films and or three of his films and in Double Life. So I'm pretty um a novice and so i'm really excited to uh, check all this stuff out now i've got like 15 films in after you watch all of his shorts and documentaries and um and i'm really enjoying the process of watching this director change and grow and so yeah that's about it for me how about you matt what's your kind of relationship so uh i mean one thing i will say is that uh, it's not that unusual to have stopped there because up until a couple of years ago, that was pretty much all that was available uh, in the U.S. Um, there was a, a short-lived Kino collection of his earlier work on DVD, um, and there was uh, a Kino uh, box set of the Decalogue, um, which was in pretty rough condition um, and was a very early DVD release. Um, I first saw a Kieślowski movie uh, in 1994 when uh, he was nominated for Best Director. I was like, you know, I was a movie nerd kid and um, had, but, you know, still a kid and had never really heard of him before. 
Um, and so uh, I went to see Red. Um, I had did not know that it was part of a trilogy other than the fact that it was three colors. I didn't, all I knew was that I, there was no, uh, it was not a connection to a continuing story, um, which is kind of true, but we'll get to that way down the road. <laughs> um, so I didn't, you know, the, the twist that happens in three colors, I didn't even get, it wasn't a thing that, that, um, connected for me because I hadn't seen the other two movies. Um, but I was, um, very taken with the movie, uh, and very invested in the story of the film. Um, it wasn't until much later, um, when I was in college that I watched, uh, the other two films in the trilogy, uh, and Double Life of Veronique, um, and really fell, uh, deeply in love with, with the Three Colors trilogy in particular. Um, Red was my favorite for a long time. I think it has shifted to blue since then. Um, and then I borrowed the uh, DVD box set of Decalogue from a friend of mine and watched uh, those films um, in in order and, and was really blown away by them um, and have been waiting ever since then to rewatch them. So I probably haven't seen... Uh, those movies in um, almost 20 years now. Uh, I bought the the Criterion box uh, the week it came out, and, and part of the reason that I've been um, pushing for Kishlovsky on this season is so that I can finally have a reason to really take my time with that set, not just watch it to watch it because I bought it, um, you know, and I want to get my money's worth, but because I really want to spend time rediscovering the series and um i've seen blind chance of course which is also available on a blu-ray um but other than those films the the criterion blu-rays that have been released i haven't seen any of his movies prior to this so this is a new experience uh, for me as well for a lot of these films um over half of them so this is uh this is going to be fun um john you are our first guest on this season. You were one of our first guests on the last, uh, on the first season as well. Um, so obviously very different director than Kubrick in terms of, I think most people in America come to Kubrick at a pretty early age, not, not so necessarily so much with Kieślowski. So, um, what was your, uh, first Kieślowski experience and how has your opinion evolved, uh, since then? That's a really great lead in actually, because so I don't think I've ever talked about, I don't think I've ever like given the <clears throat> total overview of my uh, film fandom or whatever, but I have three specific phases. One, the first phase was actually when I was in high school in the 90s when Kishlovsky was alive, but I didn't know of him yet. That was actually the time when I was first introduced to Kubrick. Um, I first heard about Kishlovsky through the uh, uh, through the Three Colors trilogy, um, and that was that was during my second phase um, of film. Like when I was in grad school, two thousand three to two thousand eight, I lived over in Washington Square, and there was a DVD store over there that had um, really good foreign and independent film selection, and so they had the DVDs of 
uh, the three colors, but I never actually watched any of them. But I remember seeing them over and over again and wondering, like, who is this? Who who is making these movies? And you know, why am I seeing them all the time? Um, fast forward to this most recent period when I'm really getting into film and heck, started a podcast and I'm trying to talk with people that are a lot smarter than I am about movies. And in this period, I actually had an amazing introduction. The very first. Kishovsky movie I saw was the Decalogue full form at the Brattle over two days. Nice. <clears throat> and so it was one of those great, it was like almost, a, it, not almost, it was a communal experience where, you know, I'd walk into the theater, the other 20 people that have signed up for the all day Decalogue marathon, um, it was split over two days. Um, but, you know, anybody that showed up for one through five or six through 10, uh, they were serious about this and serious about film, so I would talk to the people beforehand, talk to them at intermission, talk afterwards. By the end of it, people were like, why are you talking to us? Uh, I don't know <laughs> you. I don't necessarily like you. Um, but it was like, it, yeah, it was like this, re- it was a really formative experience for me because it was pretty early on in my uh, in my film watching, and I freaking loved it. So then after that, got into... Um, this would have been actually, I think, before Filmstruck launched. It would have been when Criterion Collection was on Hulu. Uh, I watched, uh, I watched Double Life of Veronique, and then obviously I owned the Blu-rays for the Three Colors trilogy, so watch those uh, later on. But then, uh, towards the end of uh, during my binge of Filmstruck, I then went back and um, I actually reached out and uh, reached out to you guys and said, "Oh my gosh." You know, I'm watching The Scar or I'm watching No End and I'm really liking some of this uh, uh, film-struck-specific, Criterion Channel-specific Kuslovsky movies that I'm watching. Um, and I think that's, Matt, I think that's when you reached out and were like, actually, that's what we're doing next. Or no, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you had told me uh, that you were going to do this series and then I watched the movies and thought, oh, I, you know, I got to get in for some of the old films and, uh, and, and talk about them. Yeah, you were actually one of the first people to reach out to us um, and uh, ask for a specific movie. And uh, I, I, I doubt that there was a. Um, I doubt you needed to to knock down our door to <laughs> mark down for the scar. <laughs> you know, um, I would have expected the first person to maybe pick the Decalogue or Red or something <laughs> a little bit more uh, high profile. But I loved that. Um, that you did pick this movie. Um, it kind of reminded me of the first, the first thing out of uh, Martin's mouth when I asked him what he wanted to do for Kubrick was Spartacus. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do Spartacus, Martin. <laughs> well, it's in, so I then went on to watch Camera Buff and No End. And to be fair, Camera Buff and No End, spoiler alert, I'm going to do my top five later, but I think those two movies are better than The Scar. But the point is, is that The Scar is probably the least good uh, the the least great of the Kishlovsky movies I've seen, and I love it. Yeah, and so I think that says you and I. We already mentioned you and I did a uh, uh, did a extended discussion on Visconti. It feels a little similar where Kishlovsky just hits home runs. Um, it's really really impressive, and so yeah, I absolutely want to talk about you know um, uh, the feature length movie where it all starts. So I'm super excited to be here and talk to you guys about it. Well, I think that's a good lead into the movie itself. Um, you know, I, I looked it up, by the way, Travis, and um, that this was his next movie directly after Personnel. Um, 
he made one short uh, that was actually um, with some of the outtakes of, or the the sl- literally the slates uh, from yes. this movie. Um, yeah, did you watch that? I did. What did you think of it? I thought it was fun. I yeah, mean, it's it's a uh, you know it's kind of like watching uh, the outtakes at the end of Cannonball Run. <laughs> right. It's just it's fun. But he you know uh, whoever decided to edit them together, whether it was him or his editor, uh, had a good time. Kind of uh, you know cutting around some motifs. Um, the thing that I took the most out of it, which I thought was very interesting, was that he uses the clap as action. He doesn't yell out action or call action or. It's it's very uh, uh, you know uh, burning film uh, using film uh, is expensive and you don't want to be wasteful so you know the fact that he uses the slate and then as soon as the person clears the actors start acting um, it's a really economical way of uh, filmmaking there's no waste there's no excess which is uh, which was pretty neat that was the biggest takeaway I got out of that mm. was. Uh, was doing that um but yeah no it was fun it was good uh did he release this in some way or form you know i couldn't i couldn't find that um i didn't read the the um the there's a capsule um i I don't know where did you just see it on youtube or i i I I watched uh i watched the the um it it, it's included on the um the two disc dvd yeah i watched that i finally got that in the mail the other day so i watched it john i highly recommend this dvd uh it's so good. Yeah, there's a there's a two disc DVD collection for anybody um, listening. It, it is region B only, um, but it, the uh, it's available from Poland. Uh, it's um, basically a huge collection of almost all of his early document or documentary work in general, um, extending beyond this film. Um, and there's a great booklet that is in both Polish and English included with it. Uh, and there's little capsule, uh, descriptions for each of the films, um, included in those. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would, the one thing I took away from it was just, it's so, it, it, it's so rare to see a little bit of playfulness from him that doesn't also involve, a bit of um snide cynicism um so i you know i liked it for that reason um it felt like at least he was having a little bit of fun (laughs) behind the scenes um so anyway uh i i think that that was that it's worth seeing for sure um but yeah he went right into this movie and this was his first uh feature film so uh film in terms of actually being shown in cinemas um and it won a couple of awards it won the polish film festival jury prize and the the lead actor uh won best actor at that film fest same film festival um this is a movie that uh in um kishlowski on kishlowski the book, the first sentence of his description of this movie, and I'm going to quote here, my first feature for the cinema, The Scar, is badly made. <laughs> I have my copy of Kieślowski on Kieślowski open up to that page, and I was going to read it if you didn't. There's, a, there's another later quote from him, which I think is even better, where he says that the film was, quote, 
muddled, messy, badly made, badly edited, overlong, and in general, I don't know if it's any good for anything to anyone. <laughs> so, good night, everybody. Put that on the poster. That's awesome. <laughs> you know how sometimes uh, people in the news talk about their haters? Like, this, he's, for his own film, he is like the biggest hater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, we we talked about Kubrick um, basically trying to destroy fear and desire and never never letting it be shown. Um, imagine if fear and desire was as good as this movie. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the, the, the level of quality here, um, is pretty high, I think. Um, so for, for those quotes to, um, to be, to be, uh, his, his opinion of this movie, I think, you know, I, I think most artists think of their, early work, even people who, you know, write the great American novel first out, fresh out the gate, uh, 20 years later, if you ask them, they'll think it's garbage and what they're writing now is really the great stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty negative view of your own work. Yeah. I feel like it says more about the director than it does about the film. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. And it and also, like, some people that say that sort of thing, you know, that they're just, uh, it's almost like a humble brag or it's like yeah. false modesty. No, I think he, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Agnieszka Holland said that it was a film made in joy, but uh, the director hated it right afterwards. Yeah, and, she, and uh, Agnieszka Holland, who, who is a uh, uh, very accomplished film director herself, um, does actually appear in this movie. She's, uh, she's the, um, the assistant of the factory manager, um, who is the protagonist of the movie. Um, just to set up a little bit for people, um, who haven't been able to see this movie, uh, we will be spoiler free, uh, as the kids like to say for the first part of this discussion. Um, it will be available again on the Criterion channel when it launches April 8th. So if you have signed up for a subscription for that service, you'll be able to watch it then. Um, it's also available on an out-of-print Kino DVD in the U.S. and I think an in-print DVD from Artificial Eye in the U.K. Oh, yeah, that's um, the that's the one that I own, and yeah. I would not recommend it. <laughs> it's in rough condition. Oh, yeah, the roughest. Yeah, yeah. Same, same with the Kino one. The Kino they, is they pretty bad. They put no love into this at all. No. Yeah, and the Kino box um, is extremely expensive at the moment. Um, but you, uh, if you are lucky enough, like we are to have a good local library system, uh, you should see if you can check it out there, but if not, um, just stick around for the first part of this conversation and then we'll let you know when we, uh, reveal that everybody dies at the end. That's going to be my spoiler <laughs> joke every single time. We've got four more of these shows or so where I get to do that joke. So I'm going to keep it up. <laughs> So the story of this movie, uh, briefly, just to set it up, is that um, a uh, region of uh, Poland uh, that has been a province that has been generally um, passed over, um, some government officials uh, in the town of uh, Oles Oletska, is that it? Ole Oledsko. 
or let's it. go yeah, yeah. oh let's go um have uh convinced the uh the gov the party to build a factory in this town uh just outside of it um basically where a forest is um so that uh they can bring more um, jobs and industry to to that region. This is a city that is, uh, or a town, that is um, basically like as northeast as you can get in Poland without being in Lithuania. So it's, it's pretty far removed from any of the um, major centers. Um, it's, it's actually much closer to Gdansk, which comes up in the film later than, than uh, Warsaw. Um, so, uh, they start the factory happening and they hire this guy who used to live in the town to come back and open up this factory. And, uh, basically the film is about the push and pull between the people in the area who don't necessarily want this factory to be built and this guy who, um, has to make it work because he's been told that this is his job and that he has to take care of this for the the good of everybody is that a fair uh, assessment of the story of this movie everybody i think you're right on matt i think that's pretty much uh without some uh, some small little asides i think that's the general thrust of the story so i'll start with with our guest since uh i'm classy john <laughs> nice what uh what do you think of the scar so the first thing I want to say, I really liked. Uh, I really liked your summary. Though one thing I would add is, and I don't know what the geography was in 1970 in this area, but now it isn't just Lithuania. It's also Kaliningrad, which is a Russian exclave, and Belarus. So to some extent, this is about as like about as Soviet an area in Poland as you could imagine. Um, and this this was a very just to add to that. This was a very porous border before Poland was established as a country. Um, the, the Lithuanian uh, groups were often, Lithuanian general was often lumped in with Poland when Russia was, the Russian empire was ruling it. Um, there, you know, the, it's, when, once you get up here, it's, it's kind of all in a melting pot of different clans and uh, racial backgrounds. Yeah, and you definitely get the sense that this is much. This is like uh, as much as much of a backwater or as much as a, a rural area as you could you could imagine before the um, right before this factory is put in. Yeah, no, I really I really enjoy this movie. It has um, it has a lot of the stuff that I like uh, from Kieślowski. Just the it's uh, it's very poignant um it has very nuanced under uh, uh, uh depiction of of different people people that are in power people that are uh you know i don't know anti anti-socialist is probably too strong of a word for anybody in this movie but um uh, uh different types of people with different perspectives are all given sort of a fair shake there are no good guys and bad guys um, and in addition, there are some stylistic flourishes in this film that are really impressive. And yes. while it isn't as it isn't as poetical or metaphysical of much of his later work, um, there are already at this point uh, uh, little instances, little touches of that which are very beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I agree with John. I think uh, 
I think there's uh, lots of character building in this um, in terms of uh, the world that these people all inhabit. Um, this idea of having all these committees and uh, little enclaves of people that are making decisions. Um, one of the things that always that sticks out is every meeting there's this paper that goes around that you have to sign that you were there. Um, you know, taking records and notes of who's a part of everything. So later when things go to shit, they can throw everyone under the bus and protect themselves. And <laughs> it's, a, it's such mm-hmm. a weird it's such a weird uh, dynamic that I'm unfamiliar with. Um, and so I find that to be com- to be very interesting. Um, and then our our main character that we're following around, um, uh, Stefan uh, Bernard's. Is that Bernard? Uh, Bednarz. Yeah, um, yeah, following him around. Uh, it's it's interesting because you're kind of as much as he is the the centerpiece of the story. Um, you're looking at the movie through a lot of his eyes, and you feel like his hopefulness. And then as the movie progresses, you kind of go on the same emotional path and trajectory with him. Um, and so uh, I think I think Kieślowski does a fantastic job of kind of putting us in that position. As much as there is no good guys and bad guys, it is a complete like morally gray, just uh, bureaucratic mess that is that that this guy has been given. Um, you watch him try to wade his way through it, and I find it. Uh, fascinating to kind of see how he handles the different uh, challenges that are put put before him and then also kind of follow his emotional tract and then like uh, John was saying then you know kind of not as subtly or not as built into the whole entire storyline or the theme of the movie there are these moments of like metaphysical strangeness or poetic moments that kind of are they don't feel they're not shoehorned in but they are placed in very specific points throughout the movie and it elevates those scenes and it makes me want more of that type of stuff which luckily that happens as his career goes on so it does make me want to watch more of his films because i want to see that type of style uh come to fruition um so yeah i like that a lot matt what would you think about the movie so I, I enjoy this movie. I probably am more negative on it than you guys. I think that there's a lot of skill in what is being shown here um, and how he's doing it. But I don't think that he fully commits in any particular direction enough to make the movie really stick the landing and make me kind of uh, feel either for these characters or for a particular um, uh, viewpoint on this world. Um, And I'm not saying that I needed the movie to be more... um, pointed or didactic in any way. Um, but I think if the movie had, um, been a little bit more bold in either getting deeper into his personal life, 
or getting a fuller picture of this town or of this bureaucratic uh, void that is being depicted um, or ventured into more of the poetic or surrealistic or absurd touches um, things like the deer eating the cigarettes or <laughs> the um, poetic elements and sort of introspective um, bizarre moments that you're talking about. Um, if there were more of those things um, or if it venture, if it, if it took those things away and got a little bit more specific and intricate with the documentary aspects of what, how this, came to be what this what this town's response were if it if it had a little bit more character i think the movie could have felt more substantial than it does because ultimately while i enjoy watching it and i think there's a lot to admire in it i don't think it leaves much of a scar oh <laughs> Can I, you were waiting that whole time to say that, John. <laughs> go ahead. The two. Th- so there are a lot of things I, I, that I think that you brought up that hopefully we'll get to talk about. But the first and most obvious thing is this is definitely his bridge movie, right? Yeah. Like his bridge between his documentary work to the more metaphysical, and it's going to just grow and grow and grow. He's, you know, and the other thing I want to mention ties into this is that uh, the um, the experience of Bednarja. The, emo- the emotional trajectory that he's on, I think, also mirrors Kieslowski's trajectory where there's a part of him that when he's younger is saying, you know, I'm going to do these documentaries. Yeah. I'm going I'm to tell the truth and I'm going to capture truth. And then as some of his friends start getting exiled and the cops start coming for his film and these other things start playing, uh, coming into account, he begins to think, you know, what? maybe I don't want to tell that form of the truth. Maybe I want to distance myself from that and this film i think is uh is uh, is both discussing that trajectory that he's on i mean uh bednarja is often called the director in this film but then in addition it's also the shift that's going on in poland some of the relationships between um between the intelligentsia and between the the working class people uh and in addition it's a shift in um his his thoughts and feelings uh, uh, Kieslowski's thoughts and feelings about, you know, what are the best way to make films. So I think that there's a lot going on here, and it certainly is, like I said, it's certainly a bridge film. Uh, I find it, I find that that adds to some of the rewards to it, but certainly it is not his greatest film. Yeah, I can, I can, you know, the points I made earlier, you know, I, I always go from the positive and work my way backwards to the parts that weren't working the best for me. And I, I do agree. I think there is some uh, there is some f- po- post sitting on stylistic choices. He is very strongly in his documentary sections, and then the points that uh, hit that poetic uh, or surrealistic or whatever, however you want to term it, um, moments they stick out like a sore thumb because of that. And I don't know if uh, they draw my attention more because they stick out so greatly. Or if it's because that is more my type of experience when I watch a film, the stuff that I'm drawn to. 
Um, or maybe just because I know where he ends up later mm. in his career. But uh, those moments almost kind of put a Band-Aid over some of the parts that aren't working for me. And I agree. I think there are some stylistic problems with the film. Um, I totally, totally agree with that. Um, there's, you know, like you said, not wanting to have it spelled out for you, but there are large holes in terms of just structural things. There's points in this movie yeah. where I have no idea that time has passed so greatly. Right. I mean, logically, I should know this because it takes more than a year to build a factory. So right. he's been there for quite a long time. Um, and so that kind of jumps in logic. It, it, it took a second viewing for me to kind of put this together in some sort of timeline for myself um, to follow along with the story and see the type of growth yeah. because also his change as a person happens, feels like it happens too fast, but in real time it's, he's been at this project and dealing with these meetings. You know, he doesn't just go to these two meetings we see he's gone to hundreds of these meetings and he's answered hundreds of these phone calls right. and he's fired, you know, so many people at this point um, to reach this uh, emotional turning point for himself. So, um, I think that's where uh, the, the brevity of the piece where he says it's too long. I think it's too long because he's not uh, developing his stylistic shortcut or his uh, command of uh, narrative storytelling yet. He's still trying to work in the documentary angle, which uh, doesn't allow him to just, you know, it works in a documentary because you're picking your narrative and your line and your through line and you're working your way through it, whereas this, he has to come cut it out of, uh, you know, whole cloth, his whole entire story idea, and, you know, while also trying to fit it into his visual style of documentary camera work, and I think it just kind of falls short on a few, you know, technical things where uh, uh, later when you're more assured director, and, you know, like John said, this is a bridge film for him, when he becomes a more assured director and he's also not working fully uh, under the Polish thumb um, of uh, not censorship, but there is, you know, he does have to have every step of the process looked at by other committees. Um, I think he takes bolder narrative steps and bolder choices. Yeah. Well, I think there's a few things in, in, in terms of uh, his knowledge of censorship here that, um, he hesitated to go down the path that I think he really wanted to go down. Um, and I don't necessarily know that this is one of them, but I do wish that there was a little bit more development around the sort of past of, uh, of Bednarja and, and, you know, why he had to leave Oletz, Oletzko and, you know, what was this, uh, situation with this, um, this other other person um, who used to be a teacher it's all very vague um, and non-specific and I don't know if that's because Kishlovsky didn't want to go there or because he thought it would be more effective to keep it vague but it it feels like a wrong choice to me it feels like you're trying to put something there the, to make things interesting and instead you're making things feel more opaque and frustrating. Um, 
you know, I think that's just sort of one example where I, I feel like a little bit more experience with storytelling would have benefited him. I think, uh, I think you're right. I think this is a good point to, uh, maybe move on to our spoiler territory because then we yeah, can, I agree. Uh, start talking about those points in uh, greater detail. All right. So long, everybody. See you uh, at the call. <laughs> All right. Now that those bozos are gone. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think uh, the, I think just the first thing I want to talk about is Bednarja and just, you know, John mentioned the idea of him being the stand-in for Kishlovsky that they call him the director of course there is a director of documentaries in this movie um there's also a sociologist (laughs) a young college (laughs) student in this movie um so there's a lot of potential stand-ins for Kishlovsky hooray um (laughs) but I I I think one of the most frustrating and yet appealing elements of this movie for me is his character because I can't get a feel of whether Kishlovsky really thinks that he is a good person trying to do good things and just ultimately gives up um, and t- and removes himself from public life to, to go back into private life because he can't take the, um, the sort of stress and compromise or if this guy is a bit of a just as somebody calls uh, calls the uh, I think he actually calls the um, the official a uh, smug self satisfied man. Is that that almost feels like a apt description of Bednarja to me in the sense of like this guy who thinks that you know he just wants the truth. He doesn't want like if you think. You know, he, as he says to the sociologists, if you think that I want you to tweak your report to make me look better, then you don't know me. <laughs> but then he's like, but maybe we just shelve it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah, I mean? So I, 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 do wa- I do wonder if he is, you know, he if he is truly being held up as the... Um, the good person trying to fight against the tide of bureaucracy and cynicism, or if ultimately this is a, a depiction of a, a person who has been compromised already and is fighting with himself to believe that he is genuinely a good person when he knows that deep down he's already abandoned his soul. Well, I, th- I think I think Yushlovsky had didn't make that choice. I think that's where the problem lies. Yeah, is I think uh, in in the few interviews I've read and the in the pieces I've read written about the uh, film or about the making of the film, um, one of the things that keeps on getting uh, levied at the film or talked about is the concept that he really wanted to make a piece in which you're just constantly in the moral gray. There is no bad guys. There's no good guys. There's just this system and that's it. And so I think because of that, you know, we don't he's not given that moment of I'm going to fix this. I'm going to change this. 
you know, every time he does have that moment where he does say that when he stops the stops the tractors from taking that, you know, tearing down that guy's house or, you know, says that line about, you know, I want the truth and I'm not about, you know, just right. making up facts for party line. Uh, you do have those. You, he, he levies them quickly. He balances the scales by also showing him completely being a party stooge in terms of. Uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the things he takes advantage of, and a lot of the ways that he acts. I mean, his wife doesn't want to go with him back to Alesco because of something fairly, probably fairly traumatic. I mean, the fact that she refuses to go with him, you know, I don't know if there's. It doesn't look like there's problems in their relationship until this is brought up. But then again, we don't have a lot of their relationship, a lot of their detail. Um, so because of that, I think because we're being narratively uh, cut away from him to not develop any personal feelings for this character, we can't really make that decision if he is naive and thinks he can do good. But really, I mean, he's already done this job a few times. That's yeah. why he's hired these, you know, he's done this. So he's hired because of his abilities. And then they said, oh, let's put him in a Lesko because yeah. at least here he also is from here, so he'll get the support of the people. <clears throat> but he doesn't – we don't get that. He doesn't connect with the people because he's not from there. He's He's gone to the city. He knows what the good life is. Coming back to this town, uh, the bad memories and the poor living qualities of everyone, he's he's too far above it. He can't connect there. So it becomes it becomes this hard – process for us the audience to understand him and i don't think kishlowski is allowing us to understand him because of his directorial and editorial decisions he's made in what information he presents us yeah i have i have a few responses to that but i want to hear from john on on this so uh, <laughs> i wonder if this is a sign of great art or a sign that the three of us are just contrarian because so we have we have uh, Bednarja is bad. We have Bednarja is neutral or undecided, <laughs> and I am definitely on the side of like Bednarja is definitely sympathetic. I mean, this is the guy that let the dog back into the car, even at his lowest <laughs> moment. He saves the dog. Um, uh, no, no, no. I I think it's I think it's very interesting. Um, and before we before I finish off Bednarja, I just want to say to the it's interesting when I watch this movie. Uh, you know, there's like a fine line between a director or a screenwriter not force feeding you uh, and, you know, being too obvious about the information. But there is a difference between that and being incomplete. And yeah. I wonder, I think you guys are beginning to persuade me a little bit. Whereas before I saw that as not force feeding, now I may look at it differently. Um, but on point, Bednarja. Yeah, no, I think like from the jump, we're supposed to be sympathetic to him, I think for a number of different reasons. Even when the people in the public are complaining to the party and saying, you know, what are you, you smug bastards? Why are you guys, why are you guys building this factory? We like our town the way it is. We don't want, you know, all of the traffic and all of the ruining of the uh, environment. Um, you know, you guys are ruining our town for us. Uh, even when they're saying that, one of the people in the audience says, uh, you know, we know who Bednarja is. This guy is a true humanist. The problem is what happens when this guy leaves. I think it's pretty clear that he comes in with like a lot of, he's a pragmatist for sure. 
but he also is a bit of an idealist and genuinely, I think, wants to do what's good for people. One of the interesting things about this factory is this factory is a, uh, is a fertilizer factory. And I think mm-hmm. as you guys discussed in the last episode, Poland at this time really needed fertilizer factories. It isn't mm-hmm. just that this region was underdeveloped, which it very clearly was, um, but there was also the side that this genuinely was something that would have been good for Poland is to you know produce 32,000 tons of fertilizer for a country that is having you know major foodstuff price crises. Um, right. Although they do they do point out that just six miles down the road there's oh, yeah. an empty desert of sand where they could be building this factory, but it's in a different province. So well, the politics the of there's, it. Yeah, there's five provinces fighting over this factory, and they are the ones who make the the best sell. Right. And now they're for you know now they like now we have to go through with this, and yeah. they choose. The poor way to do it, you know, telling the selling the people on we're making your lives better. Stop fighting us, which is, you know, right. this idea of. Well, it, it's it, it is interesting at that meeting that there's really it's really only old people who are complaining. Uh, <laughs> I mean, course. later on, there's, you know, in the in this sort of in the office meeting um, and they're line they're literally lining up the students at the school to go and be at his, you know, fake, uh, fake offering. I mean, you can see that that most of the working age people want this factory to come so that they can get jobs there. They literally break a glass window because they're pushing so hard on the building to try to get in to get a job at this factory as it's being built. Um, so there, there's definitely demand for uh, for jobs uh, in in yeah. the region, um, but it's just a question of where that's going to actually happen. Um, and, and it just th- happened that the this guy made the best case. And this that decision, uh, the decision where to locate it, was not made by Bednarzio. Was made before no. Bednarzio no, was brought but, in. No, but but I guess what would I when I look at that, you know, I look at that a little bit like the record label has the one cool guy A&R dude that they know can sign, <laughs> you know, Rage Against the Machine. And, you know, he's not going to fuck around with you. Like, he knows he knows what's up. Like, he goes to all the cool kid clubs. You know, he's not really a record label executive. He's He gets it. He gets it, man. And I feel like that's what Ben Narja is. He's the... He's the party official that they can bring in and say, hey, look, we gave you the happy fun time guy. <laughs> isn't it isn't everything great? And like they kind of buy it for a little while. But, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily see that as, you know, the the uh, the equivalent of somebody who is genuinely trying to do the right thing. I think he's just playing the role in the system that the system demands. Um, and I will point to one thing that I think Kishlovsky, well, there's, I think there's a number of moments where he, he kind of lays down and, you know, when the, when the, when the moments were real are really important for him to stand up and do the right thing, he doesn't. And it's only in those little moments where he's sort of forced to do the right thing, where he says, if I don't do this in this situation, I'm going to feel like I am a bad person where he actually stands up when he's standing in front of the house as it's being torn down. He says, 
I, I got to do something to stop it. But before that, when it's all conceptual and he's just wants to have a drink with the guy, he's like, okay, let's, let's have a drink that I, we don't have to talk about this right now. We can talk about it when there's bulldozers literally coming at the house. That seems like the, the better time for me to make my case. But I think the most, uh, I'm, I'm ranting now about this guy cause I hate him so much. No, I don't really, I don't really hate him, but I think the most, I think the most telling moment is after the meeting in his office where they make a pretty good case i gotta say um and he you can see the look on his face where he's just like i can't talk to these people anymore they are making me feel like a bad person and the you know his his over eager assistant um is you know uh basically like comes out and tells agnesha holland who is his um assistant um not to let those people in to see him anymore. Um, you know, in, in one of the books, uh, that I read, they, they basically treated that as if he's shielding, uh, like that, that Bednarja doesn't know that that's happening, but you, there's a, Kieslowski shows him hearing the conversation from the other room and only after the conversation is over does he stand up and go and close his door to to his office. I think that is, to me, the clearest sign that Kieślowski is saying, this guy is kind of a two-faced loser. <laughs> you, you Am I wrong? Because of... You just hate him by, because how he eats his sandwiches oh. holding a tomato between two other fingers. It's not great. Man, that's bizarro. <laughs> and also, Wait. I will point out, John, even Michael Bay wouldn't kill a dog. So we're not really in, like, so know, to, so, perfect so people territory. I want to say the three things I have circled about this movie are hair, sandwiches, and disillusionment. <laughs> Oh. That that'd be a great uh, that'd be a great book you could write on on Kishlowski. hair sandwiches and disillusionment the films of of Krzysztof Kishlowski. I got news for you that could also be a book on me <laughs> oh nice um yeah I had a I had that I had the uh, holding the tomato between his fingers while eating a sandwich and then uh, his awesome dice trapped in amber on his shifter of his car yes. those are my two uh, notes. See, I never, I never read the uh, dog scene as him getting rid of the dog in some sort of anger and driving off. I saw it as him being lazy and exercising his dog. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, he's like, oh, the dog wants to run. I don't want to run. I'm so tired. I'm beaten down. Before, he's like, oh, I want to take the dog out. Oh, I want the dog. And now he's just like, oh, the dog. And he just throws the dog out of the car, runs him for a while, throws him back in, pets him, and drives off. Um I don't know. I think uh, I, <clears throat> to Matt's point about him being a horrible two-faced son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> Which one of his points? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I, I guess I, I see that. Um, I think I think with a uh, a long a longer film and a little bit more of a uh, um, focused. Uh, a focused camera on uh, on Stefan on his character. I think we would see that change slowly happening mm. in him. But because of the uh, the ellipses that take place in this film, um, 
it 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 comes across like it's always there. I don't know. I think it's I think we're supposed to sympathize with him as a character right off the way because he's a photographer. Yes. And he's 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 outside. He's a guy that is about the people, about taking pictures, about art, about documenting things. I mean, later in the movie when the TV editor, the documentarian guy um, shows up to his apartment to talk to him for a while and eat a massive pile of sandwiches. <laughs> um, he points at a picture and says, oh, that was my caretaker. That's me in this picture. Like, that's how tied he was to this area yeah. that he, you know, he was documenting that type of life. He was that guy before he became a party member and before he became someone of some import. And I, I can understand he comes in all kind of like, I don't want the big apartment. I want the small apartment because I'm practical and I'm not about like taking bribes and I'm above all this. Um, but, you know, I think he knows and we know the only way to work in that kind of system isn't to rail against it because you don't get anywhere. It's to turn a blind eye to certain things and to kind of pick your battles and stand up when it benefits you, not necessarily the people you're fighting for. And it, that's that's where uh, Kieślowski comes in with his, you know, just poor attitude towards a lot of things is in the way that he's doing this. And I, I know he likes to say that this is a uh, he's a neutral character in all this. Like he's he's removed. There's no bad guys or good guys. There's just people making decisions. But I think that he didn't make a decision fully to kind of make this guy either truly idealistic um, or truly knowing what he's doing or that he's being undermined at every turn because you do get those moments of, you know, Hey, how far away are we? Oh, a mile. Well, 1.2 to be exact. And he walks away and then the guy turns and goes, how far are we really? He goes, Oh, over two miles. (laughs) But why are you lying about that? That's such a weird thing to lie about, (laughs) you know, just a simple fact. And uh, I'm sure there's lots of times he's given complete bullshit as fact and he doesn't do his due diligence to go further or dig deeper because he doesn't have the energy, time, or patience to do it at this point. So it's it's weird. I think I think he's an interesting character, but I think to, we need to spend more time with him to uh, make better better decisions about who he is. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like the moments um, where we're given so, his solitude um, really connect in that way. Uh, enough they feel cold despite their kind of um both sonic and visual uh appeal and sort of curious uh delivery um travis i know you wanted to talk about the music i think i think the sound design in general is pretty cool in this movie i mean even even the birds uh at the beginning um, in the uh, as the the cars the Soviet era cars are driving through the woods uh, to go have all the um, the party officials take a look at the site where the factory is going to be um, and so you, all you hear are just these these uh, old motors and uh, and birds chirping as the uh, as they pull up almost like a like going to a mob meeting or something um, I, I thought I thought, that just sort of established um, 
that kind of sonic design. Yeah, there's a lot of forethought put into the des- the sonic design of this movie. Uh, from that to his introspective moments in which there's these this strange uh, uh, cacophony of dissonant sounds that are happening or repetitive clickings or like there, it's 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 like this alien besides the landscape being almost alien in which it's been destroyed uh you've got these this this soundtrack that also has that industrial alien feeling to it which i think helps the movie a fair deal i think if this had a typical type of soundtrack with some sort of strings or uh you know something melancholy i think it would be too much and having this music really kind of uh, the sounds and sound effects, I think they kind of uh, help make the film feel like there's something deeper to it than necessarily there is. Um, I don't know. John, what do you feel about the music? You you were talking earlier about kind of um, the way that you know he's using this, uh, you know, his, this stylized or... Um, you know, using all these uh, camera, poetic camera things and moments to kind of help elevate the story. But I think the music also does that. What do you feel about that thought or that idea? Yeah, absolutely. It's something I noticed when I first watched it. Definitely thought it added added something to it. Uh, I have to tell you, the first time I saw it, the first thing I thought of was that uh, the sonic sound when in Stalker when they're on that track in between when they're entering the zone. Mm. particularly and it isn't exactly alike obviously because that was the repetitive clicking of the railroad tracks uh in stalker um so you made it that far (laughs) it was one of the seven times i watched it i managed to stay up during (laughs) that part yes it's actually that is that is probably my favorite part of the film actually um uh, uh that transition into the zone and what's interesting is in this film the first time we hear it there's also a similar uh, a driving motion going in the same direction this time in a car rather than in a on a railroad track um so that was the first thing the second thing is uh in doing my research and preparing uh to talk to you guys uh i read that um at least one interpretation of that sound is that it's like a projection it's a subjective uh, projection of uh, Bednarge's like loneliness and alienation, yeah. um, and the, whenever that's like at its most acute, that that's when that pops up. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I watching the film a second time, I wrote down just sort of instinctually during one of those sequences. There's definitely a horror movie in here somewhere. Um, I think it wouldn't be too hard to take this premise these characters this the fact that he has this history with the town with a dark secret um and go really deep psychological horror um with him just kind of losing his mind in this situation uh and and i feel like those moments with him alone do almost veer into that territory where it's like he's not even really sure what his reality is or you know what he's not fully aware of the situation and kind of what what he has at stake or you know what what he's responsible for can i can i say something about that alienation so going back to what travis mentioned about uh, or what we mentioned about him picking the smaller apartment uh, i think and even his choice to go to a let's go in that photograph so i think 
we have to ask ourselves, like, how much of his alienation from his family is driving his decision-making? Obviously, his decision-making is alienating from his family. But I think, you know, the first time that we see that photograph of the TV editor actually isn't uh, later on at the apartment when the TV editor comes over. It's at the beginning when he first finds out that he's going to a Let's Go and he's talking to his wife. And he's also finding out that his daughter has had the third abortion. Because he's when he's throwing up pictures uh, onto the yeah. bathroom mirror, that's the picture that's shown. In addition, when he decides to select the smaller apartment, he isn't just making that choice. Obviously, he's making that choice like the Warren Buffett false humility, like I'm going to have some cover. Yeah. I'm going to have some cover because I'm only going to drink Pepsi. I'm only going to drink you know cherry Coca Cola and eat <laughs> eat well done steaks and live in my small house. Um, it's also because the direct, the chairman is saying, hey, you know, we've got this big apartment. Look, there's plenty of room for your wife. And you see Bernardo like look down and be like, nah, I think I want the smaller apartment. Yeah, it's perfect for my dark room. My, <laughs> my dark room so I can do my photography. Where I go to hide yeah, from the world, my family. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys yes. think was going on? Because... Uh, they they really he they they really don't give you a lot. It's also weird too. There's there's a part at the beginning they're talking about it, it was ten years ago, right? And then mm-hmm. when he's talking with his daughter, he says, "Do you want to know what happened twenty five years ago?" Well, that's that's ten years later in the movie. At that point, is it ten years though? I thought he'd only <laughs> been there for about four. Well, I think it's I think it's a I mean, what? That's the giant parade for the uh, opening of the second part of the factory, isn't that what that whole celebration yeah, is about? Off. Yeah, so I don't know. It's like I said, the timeline is so hard to kind of put your hand your 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 head around, but uh I, Here's the thing. What I think about what happened I mean, I know let's let's play the the game of like what do you think it is about and what do you think the story is about, but the way Kis, uh, Kishlowski presents it, it doesn't matter. It's so strange because even when you know you're just left enough to understand that his it has something to do with his wife. She's it has something to do with the character of Lech, and now the character of Lech is a person that. <laughs> Uh, uh, the person that Stefan trusts and and utilizes quite often in his work. So it's it, it has a strange dynamic. He's he's like physically trading work over his family. Like there is that party over his his family. Like putting the greater good over his family. Um, and that's the only message I pull out of it. Because but, but his daughter says that she that he, um did something wrong to him. But then now was but it then, she did something wrong to him or he did something wrong to her, which is why they had to leave. Like I Well, that's what I assumed, but no, she says that that she says to Bednarja, why won't you just apologize to Lek? Or you need to apologize or you should have. You can't or you couldn't. Um and yet the the wife clearly is very scarred by no pun intended by uh by lech and will not go near him you know he she sees him and just splits because she does not want to be anywhere around him 
So it, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like I sh like, I feel like I want to figure this out, but I also don't care enough yet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No. And, and it's like, it's in, what is the point of this part of the story? What, what, what yeah. are these standing in for? Like, what is Lex standing in for? What is his wife? What is that relationship in terms of the history of Poland or in the yeah. history of that area? That's true. It because, doesn't feel the, like the youth, it needs to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Ava, the, the young, the Ava, the young girl says, you know, just, just apologize and be done with this. Well, do you want to know what he did? I don't really care. Like yeah. it's that attitude of it doesn't matter what, who did what to who. To heal, we need to just apologize and move forward and be done with this stupidity. Which, but in the same quick regard, I, I don't know why she cares at all. Right. Because what? He brought her a beer at the little hoedown with the uh, dancing girls that they were having? Like, I don't understand why it matters to her in the slightest. So it's all very... It's all confusing in terms of like what it all means and, you know, for that reason. So that's why it's almost like I didn't even put my brain into it anymore because I was like, you know what? He's obviously doesn't want us to know. Yeah. So what's the point of this? <laughs> you know, where it once again falls back to his his decisions that he made as a director. I mean, having them have their that argument in silence. Um, while the parade is going on is a beautiful stylistic choice because you're getting the idea of what it is. It's not good. They're arguing. The fight is bad. This is not something that is pleasant for either of them. And there's no repairing this at this moment. But by not giving us, the audience, any of that information about what they're fighting about, it keeps us at an arm's length and doesn't allow us to kind of choose a side which, if you want to go with what he's always saying, there are no bad people or good people, it serves his purpose. But does it serve his purpose well? I don't think so. Yeah. So my initial thought on it was that uh, his wife was in the party uh, uh, connected to the school, and he was working for the school, right. and he she led to him getting fired. And so that, I was always thinking, like, that was why at the beginning, Bednar just says, Bednar just says to the wife in that bathroom scene, says sort of like, hey, let's go back to a, let's go, you know, can't, if you did something wrong, basically saying like, if we shouldn't have fired him, uh, if the party went too far. And then when he does talk to the daughter, the other thing he talks about is he mentions that story about the firing, but then he also says that the small farms were getting broken up. And I know from your previous episode that Poland didn't go through like a full farm collectivization sort of thing. But it sounds like the reason why they left a let's go is because as party is being connected to the party, they might have had something to do with that and then had to flee because of backlash. I don't right. know. I don't know. That's that's my that's my like that's my but that, that's my but, two it, cents. but that seems so like not connected to the like her not wanting to be like on the platform with this other guy. I don't know. I think yeah. we're getting like we, we could we could go on for three hours because there, there's nothing there. Like it reminds me of like. I don't know if you guys ever took like terrible college creative writing courses, but like people will, you know, insert something in to a story that is designed to be a mystery, but they don't know the answer to that mystery and it's clear. And it feels like that. It feels like a situation where we're not in good hands 
in this situation. They're, they're intentionally obscuring something because they know that they don't have a better answer for it than just being obscure. I know you made the joke about this being the scar and you said no pun intended, but I had obviously thought of like the environmental scar that was being committed yeah. by building this. But that almost, that probably is the other scar and I'm kind of right. kicking myself. I didn't pick up on the obvious symbolism. Yeah, I do think that's definitely yeah, the, the combined uh, element. But the, but but beyond that, what it what is that? What does that mean? You know, what is that relationship between those two things mean? Like the is it? Is it saying that the 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 past of these of these rural towns is you know coming back to haunt the uh, the future of them? I you know I don't know. I'm stretching here. Yeah. Well, and does he want to go and build that factory to make it up to the town that he maybe kind of played a hand in ruining? But at the same time, people remember him as being someone who's a great humanist. Like in the town, the townspeople are the ones who yell it out, you know. So he obviously didn't do something bad because the townspeople remember him as being okay. Uh, but maybe it's his wife, like that. Yeah, see, it's too, it's too vague and too, and it also makes a strange case of, uh, you know, of uh, tension between the daughter and him. There's no need for that. Yeah. Like there's already a tension already with him not approving right. of her lifestyle and her not her wanting f- to go to school for him either i think yeah we're not yeah. yeah wanting to live her own life yeah. which you know it's her choice her body her choice her way of doing things and you know that tension was very strong and very good and that tension just completely melts away because it becomes about this other tension right. that is tr- that is very just you know dramatized for no apparent reason yeah so the other especially, no no go ahead no especially because they do end up becoming, you know, having sharing, sharing some moments. And uh, it, am I mistaken? Is is Lek the one who takes over after him? After he retires or resigns, I mean? It, it certainly seemed like he was he was definitely rising in power tremendously yeah. because he said he got an office that was the same as the director's office. I couldn't. Yeah, he said, you're moving in here, right? Yeah. He goes, no, my office is just fine. <laughs> Mm. It's the same as yours. They're all the same. I'll take the small apartment. Yeah, which yeah, the whole that whole thing. So yeah, mm. yeah um, I mean, the other thing about her is obviously, you know, the, it ends with him with this with her son or daughter. Um, his yeah, his kid, his grand his grandchild. Yeah, um, uh, helping them walk, um, which you know, would, would pay off the generational argument, uh, element of it a little bit more than the, um, her being angry about some previous secret or whatever it is. Um, the, the other thing I, I want to get into is just the political aspect of this movie. Um, the first thing is just the timing that it's set in, because I, I think it's interesting. And I think this was pointed out in one of the things that I read, um, what they're doing in this movie, uh, industrializing Poland to ramp up production, um, putting in huge investments in infrastructure in order to produce more goods. Um, although, uh, was, was what 
was done in the 70s, the especially the early to mid 70s, uh, it was just sort of collapsing as this movie was being made. Um, yet this movie does take place in the late 60s. It ends with the um, Gdanska um, uh, riots or protests, which turned into a massacre. Um, and uh, it's I find it interesting that he almost used the previous uh, regime to talk about the current regime uh, that feels like a bit of a sleight of hand. Would you guys agree with that? It feels like he, he's getting, he's trying to get around the censors by talking about a time, but saying that he's talking about the predecessors who were terrible and he's glad that they're gone. I mean, that certainly is one explanation of it. I mean, I've, I've, I've told you that I thought that the timing of this was totally different because there were, there were riots in 76, but your timeline is definitely the correct one. So I think that, you know, that in and of itself gives you a sense that the same issues that he was talking about in the earlier period, right. in the late 60s, early 70s, they were still very much relevant. There would be very similar riots that would happen about the time that this movie was filmed. Uh, so yeah, no, I think that that's, you always wanted, whenever you, whenever you're concerned about censorship, just go and make a historical film. Did say it's about, right. say it's about your predecessors, you know, exactly. seven years earlier. And that was his, that was his move. He was always kind of thinking in terms of that, that sleight of hand that Matt said, um, one of the other things, you know, he would go to party members that were in charge, uh, in charge of kind of green lighting his projects and say like, well, no, this is important to have on your record because if the party switches, then, you know, you can show use this as a, an example of, no, see, I was producing stuff for that was sympathetic to this party. Like, uh, I'm a good guy. And so, uh, you know, I think I think he, you know, he is setting it back to make a point and to talk about that, you know, that uh, things aren't changing. And and that's I think that's a big part about this. Everyone, the, there's a lot of moments in this film where they're talking about change and uh, change for the future, change for the better. Don't change anything. Don't change our past. We don't want to change. We don't like change. We fear change. And in the end, what changes? You know, he works really hard at it. He thinks he can. He but he ends up back at being with his family. The family is the thing that you know, he left the beginning and returns to at the end and what has changed. The only thing that has changed is time has passed and that's it. Um, which I think is, you know, it's pretty, pretty cynical <laughs> and, you know, but right on track with, uh, you know, Kishlovsky's earlier, early work, you know, his, uh, yeah. his very cynical nature about how the world works and how he doesn't, you know, believe that there's, hope for this kind of stuff. Well, that kind of, that kind of leads me into my next question about politics. Uh, and I, I put this directly in our outline is, is this a political movie or a movie about politics? Do you guys know what I mean when I ask that question? I guess yeah. not. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, I, I know what you do, mean. Do it's you think like he's things. trying to make a specific political point or to get people, um, to, um, to, to to speak to the current situation um or do you think that this is a movie about how organizations work essentially 
I think, you know, not to be that person, but I think it's a bit of all of that, which is why it isn't coherently a great movie because he's has too many fingers and too many different pies. Um, I do think that given the type of person we've read about and know him to be, I think this is a political movie in the guise of making a movie about the politics of this party in the past, which is no longer in power. And I think because of that, you know, that is the delivery system for his message because he does have lots of message moments. They're throwaway lines, but he does, you know, we talked about earlier about him uh, being in this movie as uh, Stefan, as a Benarge, um, being the the actual documentary filmmaker, being the social work, the the so uh, the sociologist, yeah, yeah, being the sociologist, you know, all the best lines are spoken by those three characters in terms of what's good and what's right for the world. Um, and I I want to say that maybe that was his thoughts, but I don't think so. I think he's putting in a lot of what his friends and what his contemporaries were talking about, the issues that concern them. And then he just kind of shows that that's not generally how the world is going to work. And, you know, it's, he, he is not a, it's weird. He doesn't consider himself a political filmmaker. He doesn't like to talk about it like that, but I think, his films are inherently political because of the place he is in at this time and all the things that are occurring around him. It can't be helped not become something political. It's inherently political because of the times and the place he's in when he's making these films and the conditions he's making these films under. Uh, I really like what you said, Travis. I feel like, so the first point I want to make, is about whether or not this is a political film. I think it is. And I think the political message is that um, things in Poland, uh, things in this form of socialism were, it was so difficult to do good that even when like a competent, you know, when like our hero, Stefan Bednarza comes in to save the day, he's going to eventually get ground down and disillusioned. And he just has no shot. So I do think that I think that yeah. that's the political message. I know that it, uh, uh, there might be some disagreements on that. The second point I'd like to make is I think it's also it's also like a, a, an art. I do. I think it's an artistical, like political sort of statement where this is Kieślowski saying, you know what? This is the kind of director I'm going to be now. I am going to be less political and I am going to be more about the personal, even though clearly like, you know, the Decalogue and the way that it's shot clearly has it's in those like uh, uh, Soviet style tenements and it clearly has some sense of it. He's saying I'm going in this direction and here's why it's because I'm getting ground down and it's too hard on me. And, you know, I'm really focused on, like, trying to get to truths that I can get to. And if I continue making movies like this, my friends are going to continue getting exiled. And I'm going to be compromised so much that I just I just can't do it. And sort of like a response to the people, you know, uh, that are on the other side. Not the authorities that are censoring his movies, but the other people that are saying, hey, we want you to stand up for us more and, and you know, rail against the system. And he's saying, you know what, I just can't do it. So I think the movie is political both in the sense of um, criticizing uh, the socialism uh, that was going on in Poland. But at the same time, it was also his statement of like, look, this is just too hard for one man to do. And sort of his, I mean, he's, 
He's not Ingmar Bergman. He is not like Ingmar Bergman is what I think of when I think of like a pretty apolitical director. He's not Ilya Kazan, who is saying, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw everybody under the bus in order to make movies. And I know those two things I just said are fairly controversial, but you know, <laughs> uh, but you know, so like those two things, like he's neither of those uh, uh, ends of the spectrum. But still, he's saying, I can't do this. I want, and th- I think that this film is an argument for, for uh, both of those points. I, I actually think that both of those points are very persuasive, uh, especially the first point. Um, I don't doubt that his intention was to make a movie about Poland's current condition. Um, the one thing that I will say about that, though, is that I don't necessarily know that he did a good job of that. And part of the reason is because he almost did too good of a job of showing the realistic depiction of this difficult political situation. And as an experiment, I'll ask you guys, how would this movie be different other than the details of who's appointed to whom and how? Um, if this movie was about building a factory in Alabama in 2019, um, would this be that different of a movie? Uh, could you like? Could you remake this movie in America in 2019? Oh, absolutely! I, I think you could, and absolutely. I don't think you would yes, have to I change very could. much. This guy would have to be like a, a DJT, a par- like one of those people that work for DJT that right. know that he is. A cancer, um, you know, no offense. Well, or or just work for some shitty absolutely. staffing company. Excellent. Absolutely. So yeah, you could absolutely in the current or in any era of capitalism, but particularly today, all the people that work, you know, associated with government who are genuinely, you know, they they, they think of themselves as good people, and they're compromising themselves because they think it's the best thing to do. It just happens to also be really good for their career. Um, yeah, no, the, I totally agree with you. I think that this is kind of a, although it is specific, you know, we, we certainly wouldn't have sociologists <laughs> in, in, a, in, a, in a similar movie. No, but you could have polling. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's that? Isn't there, didn't they remake, didn't they make this already? What's that uh, Matt Damon, John Krasinski movie? Oh, God, about fracking? Works, yeah, he works for a shitty company, and he's going around, and he's not a bad guy, but he works for a shitty place and just deal with it kind of thing. Oh, what is it? Not Green Zone. Promised Land. Pro- Promised God. Land. Promised Land, which is That's a it. weird movie because it was also financed by, like, the Saudi Arabian oil. <laughs> like, like <laughs> just a bizarre movie on so many different levels. Yeah, that's that. That's the same kind of thing. He's brought in to try to sell this idea to a townspeople who don't want to change. And oh, geez, you know, that of was course. Gus Van Sant. Yeah, <laughs> I, I watched it because of it was Gus Van Sant and Matt Damon. I was like, oh, we'll check this out. Francis McDormand's in it. I was like, all right, this will be great. And it's okay. It's the same thing you think. It straddles that line and doesn't. Uh, commit fully and then gets really pedantic in terms yeah. of uh of what it's trying to do well but, i'm glad uh, that i'm glad that kishlowski didn't get super pedantic here i mean i i will say that i think despite my 
my complaints about the movie, the fact, you know, I'd rather he not make a strong decision than to make a strong decision in the direction of beating us over the head with his um, moral positioning on the film. And so that aspect of the movie I appreciate. Um, To John's second point about... um, just the process of kind of removing himself from political life. I mean, I haven't seen the subsequent movie, a lot of the subsequent movies between this and, and Decalogue. I have seen Blind Chance, which is tangentially about solidarity and very much about the history of Poland, uh, or like, or the, the future of Poland. Um, and, uh, so it's hard, a little hard for me to believe that this is a moment for him to fully transition. It's the story of his process, but I can see this as him working through that feeling within him because he certainly felt that way, um, you know, leading up to the collapse of the Soviet Union and then after the Soviet Union, although he didn't leave um, Poland because it became a democratic republic. He left it because it was um, too difficult for him to get movies made there. But um, I I think that aspect of it, I I believe that, that it was within, it was a personal fight for him that he was expressing, but I don't necessarily know that he came to the same conclusion that Bednarza came to it by the time he finished the movie. I mean, it's it's interesting because he sort of makes, uh, I, I guess, I don't think this is a spoiler alert, but, uh, you know, camera buff in no end. He continues making this argument to some degree. <laughs> he continues making the same argument over and over again. So, yeah. yeah, I'm certainly not saying that this is the very end, but the artist or the, you know, the... Uh, 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 the radical or the protester or whatever, the people that are struggling with how they should relate to the system is certain people wanting to like sort of opt out um, is something that he touches on over and over again, or the moral uh, uh, ambiguity of, of the system and whether or not it is, you know, railing against the system is like fully um, the moral thing you should be doing and, you know, uh, is, well, that's of... something he, he talks about in his book that, you know, during his time at the, uh, film school that, that he would join in on some of the protests against the government, um, especially, uh, surrounding the, uh, anti-Semitism. There were a number of professor, Jewish professors at his film school that were deported, um, while he was there. Um, and that he realized later on, and this has been confirmed through documents and things like that, that the the government was using those protests to carry out the things that they were doing. So the more protests there were, the more the easier it was for them to clamp down on things and say, "Look at these people. We've got to do something about this. Let's make a deal." Um, so I think that disillusionment came very early for him, where he felt like, "Well." what can I do if I can't, if I don't feel morally uh, comfortable with going with the system and I feel even more morally compromised railing against the system because I'm actively doing harm, what, you know, what is this middle ground? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where, that's where that whole uh, 
concept and uh, thematic uh, film movement, the cinema of moral anxiety that takes place in this time period with these Polish uh, directors, uh, where it falls right into that because it's that complex, what do I do? And being disillusioned at such a young age where you're thinking you're doing the right thing, which is what, you know, this movie touches on that theme. You think you're doing the right thing, but really you're just enacting the, uh, you know, the higher ups who are using you to kind of get to their nefarious uh, or their political or their power moves to be able to uh, make those things happen a lot easier for them and setting up someone else, a young, youthful, ideal type of person to kind of play those things out and then just have them you know be the fall guy and it's it's crazy because i mean there's a moment in this movie where uh where uh Benarge, uh wants to quit and it's earlier before they start going bigger and making more parts of the factory before the factory is falling apart and he says i want out this isn't what i wanted right. to do this isn't what i signed up for and the minister is like nah <laughs> you're going to do it anyway and you're going to finish the job you set out to do deal with it and it you know that's where the turn occurs in which everything starts falling apart you know all the bad stuff all the chickens come home to roost the poor building qualities the the runoff, the saltpeter, just nothing's working. This iron's falling down from the from the, the girders. It's 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 a it's craziness, and that's because of the you know the corners they cut, and just the fact that they're starting off at such a small you know uh, so low on the scale of abilities. Uh, right. You know they're starting at a deficit to be able to try to dig themselves out of this hole, but they still you know they never get there because they just can't. They're that's where I that's where I love that shot of the moon landing. Here you have this this country, this world, this society that can't get a fucking leg up at all ever to be able to fix their problems. And then meanwhile, over in the United States, they're putting people on the moon yeah. and they can't even build a, a, a manure factory. The um, that's a that's a that's a great point. The uh, and the last thing I'll say on this is that Bednarsha's Bednarsha's final move is back to the people when he go, or at least this is the way I've interpreted it, is that his final move is back to the people where he goes out and he says, look, I totally agree with you guys. You know, I understand why you want to protest, but if you do this, like, you're, there's going to be hell to pay, and we need to be very thoughtful about that. And he tries to he tries to help the people and prevent them from, you know, having the same thing happen to them that happened to the Gdansk massacre. Right. Uh, and that sort of mirrors what what happens in Poland in '76 when the movie is getting filmed, because as uh, that's when the intelligentsia and the working people actually reconnected um, uh, after some of the after the split that happened over the anti-Semitic uh, protests and whatnot. Um, and finally, the intelligentsia sort of was like, look, we can't defend this regime anymore after the June 1976 stuff. So I don't know if that's prescient on his part. Or it's, or, or he was actually taking into account historical fact, but either way, that definitely has like contemporary to the making of this film parallels um, his his trajectory in the very end and what his his last stand is similar to the things that were going on in Poland around that time. 
Well, you'd have to assume that he had his ear to the ground on a lot of that stuff between all the documentary work he's doing and the circles he's running in that, you know, people are knowing what's kind of going on really behind the scenes. That seems to be always one of the themes in a lot of these movies is as much as everyone's keeping secrets, there are really no secrets. Everyone knows what the hell is going on. Oh, yeah. And well, and th- this is not an unusual type of movie for Poland. Um, you read about um, Pol- Polish uh, movies and TV shows at the time, you know, not surprisingly for a socialist state, there were a lot of movies about factories and <laughs> a lot of TV shows about managers struggling to interact with their workers and with the, the government officials. And th- this is... This is not um, an out-of-the-ordinary subject uh, to be covered at that time. Um, so, you know, I mean, this uh, also, you know, it, it says something that it won a jury prize at the Polish Film Festival. I mean, it was obviously tapping into what was uh, popular at the time. This isn't a movie that we need to look back on only because later it's Kieślowski. This was, you know, right, right sitting in the, the mainstream of, of what Poland was outputting, um, in terms of film and TV, uh, of the era. Um, John, I, I feel like we've stepped on the fact that you really like this movie and I don't want that to pass <laughs> us by. So I, I want to make sure we've covered all of the things that you really like about it because there are, there are a lot of great things about this movie. So I just want to make sure we're not passing by any of them. No, no. I think we, I think we touched on all of it and it is, look, I mean, this is why I do these podcasts. I mean, I'm still, I'm actually, I think I like the movie even a little bit more than I did coming into it, but I definitely have, and this is why I do these podcasts. Really. I don't do it because I think, people need to hear what I think about stuff. I do it because I want to have really thoughtful conversations. And I mean, you know, you and Travis are the two of the people that I have the most thoughtful conversations. I'm rethinking some of the things I thought before, but in fact, if anything, it's making me just appreciate the, appreciate the film even more. I mean, this is his least great film or not, you know, this is the, if I were to rank all of his films that I've seen so far, which are most of them, um, this would not be at the top. But with that being said, this is a movie that when I first saw it, I was like, I really dig this. I like, I I really like the poetic flourishes. I they didn't stick out to me as much. I I, I thought that I liked the fact that there was this, you know, this is a so this is a socialist bureaucrat. I think even in socialist countries, those people don't necessarily fare very well in the films, right? And this is like a really <laughs> thoughtful human depiction of like how even even the best intentioned um uh, you know one of these uh, somebody going into this with the best of intentions by the end of it could be doing and saying all the awful things of the very worst people in the party you know when he gets into that meeting um when he's talking to the uh, the, when he's in the meeting and he's talking to the people of the town he begins to reuse the phrases that the party chairman right. who is clearly a bad guy you know like or mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't even that's not fair he's not clearly a bad guy he's more nuanced he's slightly more nuanced than that but he is designed and he is like the picture of what you think of like a greasy uh, corrupt communist <laughs> right 
And oh, yeah. yeah, I love that at the beginning when the guy's like, great job on the window thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I, I still come out of this loving the new, seeing, feeling like there's nuance in this film, really enjoying it, really enjoying the early sort of, uh, green shoots of like the amazing stuff we're going to see from Kishlovsky later, but also just enjoying the movie f- that it is. I also find it very helpful to talk to you guys about it and, and rethink some of the things I just had taken as assumption. The end of it, I still come out thinking it's a great film. I, I, I echo your sentiments, John, my favorite, like even if the movie isn't the best movie ever, having these types of conversations about the movie uh, moves it into a different like area in my uh, in my concept of what I thought about the movie. Like I might have enjoyed it or I might have not enjoyed it, but just having these types of conversations uh, always makes the movie uh, grow in my estimation and makes it become something special that I would revisit at some point and think about the conversations we had or think about points that you made or Matt made. And it helps um, make the movie uh, become more uh, fully, uh, fully formed and more well-rounded in uh, my thoughts and in uh, my uh, my views on it. So yeah, thank and, you and I mean for... ultimately, even if I uh, was was less enthusiastic about it, I, I I do like this movie. By the way, I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, I I will also say just that. You know, I think Kieślowski is a true artist in film, and even the things that don't work here are interesting. And, uh, you know, we've had a full conversation about this movie, and I think there's plenty more that can be said about it. And uh, that that's the sign of a movie that even if it isn't successful is, is certainly worthwhile. Um, so, John, uh, as you know from, from the previous season, we... Uh, rank these things so um we we only have two movies and uh i'm actually curious i guess i'm kind of curious to see where travis goes on this but i think we all know where i'm going but um you get to rank uh all of them so you mentioned that you'd probably put this towards the back of the of the pile do you have uh do you have a favorite kishlovsky at this point and uh maybe maybe a couple more below that yeah absolutely first off i'd like to say that i'm Pretty confident that this is the number one ranking podcast episode ever made about this film. So congratulations. (laughs) In the English language, at least. Sorry, I, I mean, I mean, should there, I have caveated that? <laughs> is there a whole epi- is there a whole episode about this movie of any podcast? I don't uh, know. Personnel I, might be. I think that might be the first. I have to say. Um, so congratulations on being rank, being the, being number one in my power rankings of podcasts <laughs> on this episode. And like you said, it might be the only one on there, but, uh, no. So no, this definitely does not make my top five. I'm just going to do my top five. So I don't, you know, go through the entire list of, uh, of his films, but so I'm going to start with number five and then go backwards. Number one, uh, I have no end ranked at number five, which I know is a little bit higher than a lot of other people would put it, but i that's I really love that film um, and just yeah I just enjoyed it a lot uh, camera buff that's I think more of a traditional like you know that's a classic it's out on blu-ray a criterion collection and it feels really autobiographical and it has a that's lot not on blu-ray it isn't on blu-ray 
Oh, oh yeah, no, sorry, sorry, of course not. Um, sorry. John, do you know something we don't know? Uh, so <laughs> my number four is Camera Buff, uh, which I watched on Filmstruck, not on Blu-ray. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the bio- uh, the autobiographical. It felt kind of bi- autobiographical. I liked, you know, Kieslowski making a movie about making movies and about falling in love with it. And, you know, I really enjoyed uh, Stir, J- J- Herzy Stir. Is that how we say his name? Yeah, Yerzy Stir. Yerzy Stir. So, yeah, that's he. A- he actually, just to, to jump in there, he, um, he, played the assistant in this movie he uh or the sort of assistant director he went on to um uh be in camera buff and then later on after kishlovsky died he directed a movie in 2000 called big animal which is about a dude and a camel and uh it was actually a a film that was written by kishlovsky right around this time or a couple years previous to it um but he never uh actually produced it little factoid there for you that is a fun fact that is a fun fact um fun fact for me is that my number third favorite uh Kieslowski film is double life of veronique um that i mean one of the best uses of music in any film that i know of i just i love that movie um decalogue is my number two just the entire Decalogue. Uh, one of my favorite movie experiences of all time was watching the Decalogue over two days at the Brattle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to you guys' uh, episodes on those, um, on that series. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a giant of world cinema. My favorite Kieslowski film is Blue. Um, mm, nice. Yeah, I think... Uh, that movie just feels like a completely perfect film from beginning to end. Um, the color, the different effects that are incorporated in the film, uh, the acting. I, yeah, I just think that that is. If if you could only have one, if you could only have one film of Kieslowski, obviously there would be an argument for getting the whole Decalogue because then you get so much more time. But I do. I feel like if you want the one perfect. Uh, a masterpiece of Kieslowski. I feel like you'd have to go with blue. So that's my number cool. one. I love me some blue. Um, it's interesting that you only have one of the three colors on your top five. I really enjoy red and I do yeah. not enjoy white. Red. Yeah, it, was, it was hard. It was hard not to put red into my top five, but if yeah. I'm where I'm at well, now, yeah, I'm really excited for, for no end and camera buff for sure. I've heard a lot of great things about them. Um, so, uh, thank you for that, John and Travis, uh, where are you, what are you doing here? What do you think? Well, I have to say I personnel is number one for me right now still. Yeah. Um, and that's only because it's because of more personal, personal, oh! <laughs> I did you got one, you do. got one, you got I one got in one in nice. <laughs> Uh, I relate to it more. It is a it is an area that I'm more familiar with, and so I kind of uh, relate to the the pieces and parts of that movie a lot more. I relate to the the naivety of the character and the way that he grows and changes throughout the piece. And I kind of I like the kind of ambiguous uh, this could be read as bleak ending of that a little bit better. Whereas this uh, this movie, there's 
as a whole, there's very interesting points, and by far it is not the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. There are <laughs> way, way worse movies than this. And this movie is fascinating. It's very interesting. It's a shows showcases a uh, the machinery working uh, towards building something uh, that just is a self-looping, self-contained system that never grows, never changes, uh, and it is designed to be that way, just uh, in the way that it's built. And so witnessing that and witnessing the frustrations of a person and watching them completely change and then revert back to uh, wanting to be a private citizen and not helping the, you know, the public um, is is depressing in its own way, but it ends on a bit of more of a happier note, just being home teaching a ch- right. you know, teaching the next generation to walk um is uh is probably the happiest note uh that i've from what i've understood in all of uh, a lot of his movies so i do like personnel more um i think it's more focused more structured even though it's very loose um i think this one has a lot of inherent kind of uh, artistic problems as he's uh, growing he was trying new things that just didn't land yet and uh, but I do look forward to seeing more of his movies Matt where do you rank us well you you basically made my point in the last part of your comment um, uh, personnel is is still my number one here um, I think that this is a movie that he uh, tried to be a little bit more ambitious and in that way, I'm sure he learned a lot, but uh, often was less successful than when he was a little bit more contained, uh, as in uh, personnel. And actually, probably if we were uh, going to rank all of the um, features uh, narrative work that he's been doing uh, up to this point in the mid-70s, this would probably be on the bottom of the pile for me i think maybe pedestrian subway would go below it but um i i enjoyed both first love and personnel more than this movie um but i think there's a lot here and uh, obviously a lot of promise and i'm not really that smart of a person to observe that because i know what's coming uh, <laughs> and uh the before we get to the big ones we've got another uh tv movie coming up next time um but the first thing i want to say is thank you very much john lobinger for coming on this show and having this conversation with us oh absolutely thank you for having me on yeah john having you was fantastic appreciate it you you yep you are welcome you're going to be on every season john i'm sorry to tell you that Uh, but you're stuck with us the complete John Lobby. <laughs> Collect every episode. The first episode's very contentious. Um, <laughs> so uh, the next time we are covering another TV movie, this is also sadly only available on the Arrow out of print uh, Decalogue box. Um, it's called The Calm, and I literally know nothing about it. Travis? I do not know a single thing about this movie either, but I'm looking forward to taking this journey. I'm assuming it's going to be very mellow, calming. And with that, we're complete for another week. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear.
25thframemedia.com, a listener-supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide.